Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges and whimsy. Brought to you by Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earle. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. I'm Amanda Earle. This is episode 108 of season eight, and I'm here with the wonderful Barry Tullett. Hi, Barry. Welcome to the show. Hello, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me having me back. It's uh, incredibly kind of you. I'm honored and delighted. It's, it's so great to have you on again. Uh, Barry was on the show in October of 2021. And I, I, I know this because I listened to the episode again today. So that was my form of preparation for today. And uh, this time around, um, it's part of uh, something I've been doing this year on the show, which I, I had never come up with a name for. And it's already August, so I don't think I'm going to. I describe it as the extra literary thread or the off page sort of um a uh, thread so it's basically um sort of not so heavy based in in uh, like literary texts well it still is but not not them as i don't know again you see how hard it is to explain i fumble around <laughs> so, uh, so was my explanation so uh, i think everyone should go and listen to the previous episode because in, in that episode we talked about um some of a bear well I, let me let me do a little a uh, sort of a short little bio first and then i mean just because we did a bio last time but i'll I'll just, um, oh, where did it go in the bio that I would, uh, I had a bio and then now it's gone. <laughs> well, anyway, Barry, tell us about yourself. <laughs> you tell us about yourself. Uh, oh, crikey. I am, um, yeah. I teach graphic design uh, at the University of Lincoln in uh, the UK. And I am still a freelance graphic designer, although I don't do a great deal of freelance work anymore. I am part of a collective called Education Press that make artist books. And I've worked on a long-term project uh, illustrating typographic illustrations for Dante's Divine Comedy. And I also make other bits and bobs as I go along. Is that fair? I think that's fair. That's Sometimes I'm an occasional poet, uh, occasional concrete poet, occasional visual poet, occasional word poet. Um, yeah, and an, uh, technically an author as well. But it always feels a bit weird saying that's the author, educator, and designer Barry Tollett. You know, it sounds a bit, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, a bit weird being British and saying those things about yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I find I, I, we had a whole big discussion last time about the problem with describing oneself as a poet with a capital P. So we we had this this part of our discussion. So I'm going to I, thanks for that uh, uh, little capsule bio. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to ask. I'm going to set put the link up to that previous uh, episode conversation we had in October of. Um, in October of 2021 for season six. And uh, so people can listen to it. I listened to it as preparation for today. And I really had a good time listening to it again. And that means I've listened to it about four times now in total. So I'm, I'm, I found it really fascinating, our conversation. But in that one, we talked more about your origins with, with things like uh, um, typewriter art and typewriters. And also we talked a lot about... Um, your work with uh, the Dante, um, the typewriter Dante, and stuff like that. So, um, so those are, uh, and now I we sort of like this is the continued. This is the sequel to that. So we'll we'll talk more yeah. about 
um, other things. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's lots of things we can talk about. But uh, yeah, one of the things that happened uh, recently, well, in the spring of 2022, was the wonderful um, book, Are You Human? The Typewriter Art of Keith Armstrong, which was edited by you and by Tom Gill. It's beautiful. I have the copy and I was I was uh, honored to be asked to do a little um, a little blurb for the back which I which is nice to it was I was happy to do that and it's beautifully designed and can you talk about and the work of course of Keith Armstrong is is a brilliant gorgeous work can you talk about uh, are you human yes thank you yeah, thank you for your kind words about it um yeah I met Keith um when I was I was commissioned by Lawrence King to uh, write a book called uh, Typewriter Art Modern Anthology, which was um, a, a kind of updating and extension of the book Anna Medell wrote in the 1970s. And one of the things, um, there was in six interviews in the book, and one of the people that I discovered and found was Keith Armstrong. Um, there were several Keith Armstrongs, Keith Armstrongs online. There was a Keith Armstrongs, a poet, Keith Armstrong, a typewriter artist, King, Keith Armstrong, the disabled activist, Keith Armstrong, the musician, Keith Armstrong, the academic, the scholar. You know, there's quite a lot of Keith Armstrongs. And when I met him, I found out he was most of them. You know, he was incredibly, uh, incredibly sort of a renaissance man in terms of the, the kind of range of things that he did. And he was a very, he was very talented and a very young typewriter artist. He had polio and was in a wheelchair. And he knew Dom Svesterhuda, he knew um, Alan Finch, I think, he knew Alan Medell, he'd been in the taxi with Alan Medell, I think, at one point. But he never, he wasn't included in the anthology, he wasn't included in the typewriter poems by, uh, uh, by Finch, he wasn't included, uh, you know, in the exhibition. So I think that maybe because he was young and they didn't think that he, you know, his precocious talent was perhaps... Um, derivative but it wasn't i think it was unique, unique to him and maybe because he was because of his disability i think he had to be quite pushy so maybe people found that difficult to cope with but he was kind of not given the recognition i thought he deserved so i met him when we uh, he was in the typewriter art book and we kept in touch afterwards and uh i'd spoken about you know compiling a book of his work and maybe getting a phd student in to kind of archive it and 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 such like you know do you think there's ages to do stuff and there's never going to be a, a you know a, a terrible deadline um his interest in typewriter art i think was superseded by his disability activism and disabled rights activism and then he got interested in um writing about history of disability history of words about dis disabled people slang terms and uh, such like and then became interested in um the work of uh, the emperor claudius you know so he was very very eclectic in what he did and his music he was very interested in, uh, in, in, in as a musician, and he liked working online with people because no one knew he was disabled, no one knew he was old, um, because it was this anonymous interface. So he was very, very, very busy. Anyway, um, we lost touch for a little bit, and then I had a phone call from Tom Gill, who was one of his friends, uh, to say that he died of cancer. Mm. And I was invited to Oxford to meet Tom and Liz, who is his cousin, and we... You know, I'd said that I'd always had a plan to do a book about him, and we'd, we'd spoken about it in quite detail. So we um, we made that happen. You know, it took a couple of years, but we made it happen. And uh, I know Tom and Liz funded it. Um, so any money that the book makes goes straight back to them to pay the the investment they put into Keith's work because they were desperate for him to be recognised. 
And he was a very talented, a very a unique individual, you know, and his typewriter art was very different, I think. Yeah. It, it, it was driven by, you know, he couldn't work for long periods of time because of his, his disability, his polio, so he, he was working in bursts. But if you look at the, he dated everything he did, so there yeah. were days when he did loads of work, you know, just you can see the dates on them. And there were pattern, pattern poems, there's traditional poems, there's a kind of hybrid works, there were constructed poems, you know, there's reference. He went to meet Dom Sylvester, and they went to Prinkmarsh uh, um, several times, and they corresponded. So it was a fascinating man. So it was lovely to do a book about him. Lovely to try and try and do him justice and get him some kind of recognition. Although obviously it's a shame it wasn't when he was around. There's a show going to be in Tokyo with some of his work, and then there'll be a show in London. Um, I think in November. The show in Tokyo, I think, is going to be in October, and then there'll be one in, in London as well. So. It's nice to see him get some recognition anyway. Yeah, and, and for, for our, I know that uh, we have listeners who are typewriter art enthusiasts, and I would say maniacs, because I know that some people really love it, and uh, <laughs> I count myself as one of those, but uh, I highly recommend getting the book. One thing I really, um, for me, one of the things that I love about it is all the color. Like, he, he seemed to really um, engage with color, un- unlike a lot of sort of, concrete poets, typewriter artists. Well, some typewriters like to work with a few different uh, typewriter ribbons and stuff, but he liked to do things with uh, on uh, different papers and different types of paper and different types of materials and stuff like that too. So Yeah, yeah. There are, there are, yeah, there are lots of different colored ribbons, so not just black and white, different, different, you have a variety of ribbons. And then there's various works on different colors stock. Sometimes you can date pieces because it, it obviously a pile of paper that was the same color other times it, you know there were specific things which were specific colored papers then he did work where he did he added color body color to the paper or added elements to the image afterwards like stickers and you know um other marks and things so it's 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 a really fascinating body of work it really is we were lucky to get a, an essay by nicholas simpson who wrote about dom sylvester in a couple of books about him so it's a it's it's a yeah, and Tom wrote about him as a as a man and as a friend. I think uh, Keith was a friend of Tom's dad, who was a poet, mm. and Tom met him when he was very young. I think he used to go and stay with him in London and stuff like that. So they had a very close relationship, close friendship. And then, of course, you have your own your own um, essay on him as well in the back. So, well, yeah, not yeah. back; it's, it's somewhere around there. I, I I found it once, but it's is it in the back? It's somewhere. I don't think it's yeah, I did forget to put a contents page in. Uh, one of my friends, Ken Coburn, the poet, uh, did, did say, why is there no contents page in it? I've forgotten. I forgot. I forgot to put a contents page in. Well, that, that's <laughs> fun. That's that's uh, to make people actually go through the pages and, and look. There you go. That's <laughs> anyway, it's on page 125 if you want if you want to know that. And uh, if you have the book, you'll be able to go there and, and read it. So there's that as well. So that's and that's there's also okay. a huge list of um of of other resources at the back. I did a huge list of as many resources yeah. for top writers as I could think. So there's quite a, a range of books and websites and other things to look at. That's right, and I also remember there's actually a Facebook uh, group for Are You Human as well, which uh, yeah. I got yeah. invited to. So there's that as well, and and so that's another good source of um of uh, just keeping up to date on Keith Armstrong's typewriter art, which is just uh, marvelous work. I saw it too, uh, as, as well as in, um, as in the uh, typewriter art, a modern anthology. It was also, he has some work in the Sackner anthology as well. I noticed I was just 
flipping through that big book today and there's there's several pieces by him which yeah, so the, the, Sackner, the, the Sackner's bought some of his work yeah. um which the archive very kind kindly gave us permission to use in in our book so there's yeah so some of his works he finally got recognized in the Sackner book as well yeah. and then we've got the Sackner archive work in our book as well which, which is credited to the Sackners so that's very kind of them yeah so that's good that's uh that's kind of uh, that's kind of a big recognition thing in the, in, the, in my so that's that's great so the next thing I, I I can bring up is uh now we talked last time about the type ty, typographic Dante and how you know you would really love to have a book of uh, yes. You know, yeah. I mean, it's 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 basically it's the it's the it's the cantos from the Divine Comedy, Purgatory, Inferno, and uh, Paradise, and uh, you've done how many now? Have you done something like? Uh, well, yeah, it was, it was over. It was over a hundred. No, I think it, were, it was even. It was closer to two hundred or something. No, last. no, no. It's, there's there's a there's a hundred cantos in total. Yeah, yes, uh, but you. I've, I've illustrated each one. Yeah started doing it again because it should obviously be three illustrations tom phillips uh, illustrated the inferno and he produced i think something like four illustrations for each canto mm-hmm. i think it was something it was like every page had an illustration uh, and his own translation i think he learned italian to translate it himself which is just showing off in it and um, so i thought i've got to beat tom phillips so um i thought i'd do three illustrations for each canto so i started again i've, I've got 108 at the moment okay um, but other things keep getting in the way you know um my, my day job or you know whatever else comes along or other projects and yeah. it's frustrating oh, wow. But what did come out was uh, through PSW's typewritten uh, series of artist books. So, so Purgatory came out um, at some point uh, not that long ago, and I have a I have a copy of it, which I'm happy to have, and it's it's quite beautiful. So while you're while you're uh, yeah, so it, it's number thirteen, and um, I have copy number twenty-two. <laughs> Number I have, and it came out in April 2022. It's a hand-bound edition of 45 copies. Uh, there's a note to make sure we understand the originals are written on different typewriters using various colored ribbons because this is actually done um, on. Um, I'm just trying to. Re- I'm, for some reason, it's dark in here. I don't know what on. Uh, uh, is it the Stettner mimograph on an yeah. older Stettner mimograph? So it's it's basically mo- it's it's monotone. The color is is. Um, like a kind of a blue color throughout. So, but yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. Like, and I love the size of it. Actually, it's a nice size. Like you've got. To, so that's. Yeah, it lovely. Uh, I, I have, yeah <laughs> it is a book. Yeah, it's not. It's not the book. But it's no. a book. It's lovely. Pierce probably got in touch and asked if I'd be happy to be have it included in the title series. Which obviously I was because that's quite an honor. And uh, she just asked me to send her grayscale scans of the work that she could then then put into the into the format so it was very lovely to see it as a see it exist in the, in some kind of book format but yeah i've made some artist books of it which were for the various exhibitions i've had but they're none of them that's not quite right still you know i need and it's the, the oh, yeah it's not quite right i need to uh i want to do a better a, a better edition with better print quality and you know some of yeah do it justice after such a long time yeah i'd like to do it justice. i don't think anybody's going to come and uh, knock on my door and ask me to complete it and you know i don't think any big publisher is going to want to touch it because it's such a niche thing so i think it'll be me doing it somehow 
Well, the other the other thing is is that I I don't think I, I mean I there are certain times where I don't think a publisher can do justice to like another publisher can do justice to the I mean you're very you're a very good designer so I think that you. I just like, you know, I think I think maybe it would be I mean, it would be nice if someone could pay for it. But, you know, it'd be nice if they let <laughs> you design and, and you know, and they, they actually. But I mean, if, if there's that kind of collaboration, that would be great. But I know personally, like I just I'm I'm publishing through Angel House Press um, this um, poetry uh, collection, Beast Body Epic. And I, so it's a self-published and I, it's been so satisfying to have control over pretty much every aspect like Charles did the design and layout, um, and um, the the their place that printed it is a Coach House in Toronto. They have printing as well as their publishing arm, and they did a beautiful job. And we were in constant communication, like with the with the guy who was in charge of the the printing uh, press and stuff. So it was just and they're beautiful. Like I haven't opened all the boxes yet, but. Um, I'm sad. I'm really happy with the quality. Like it includes some visual poetry as well. And Charles thought it would be a good idea if we if we had some of the visual poems going over the spread, like going over like the page, like onto the other page. And I said, we can't do. They're not. It's not going to be even. They're going to be all kinds of. Said, no, no, no. It'll be good. They'll be able. To, and he put some some gapping in. Like so, you know, when you're working with good people, right? But you can't. I don't know. Especially with any kind of visual stuff, I find publishers are terrible at it. Just terrible so i'm i i'd be i'd be happy uh if you could have a hand in at least the design and uh a final say in everything before they're allowed to mess it up because that would be that would be disappointing if they fucked it up you know like you don't want that so yeah yeah uh, yeah i worked with jack zipes on a on a a book and it was um utopian tales it was called and it was tales and weimar republic and it had been a been typeset uh in the 90s i think in an early typesetting system it was a very horribly i thought very badly designed book uh the the, the i saw it and thought it was brilliant and i thought it was very hard to read because of the typography and I, I contacted jack and i said well can we can i do another version of it and i and i begged favors of illustrators to to illustrate it to do it justice you know we could only do it as a limited edition artist book which is a shame but i think if it yeah you, you kind of think it wouldn't have been like that because it it, it the, the published version, the original version, just is an impossible read. It's just so awkward to read. That's it. You know, and these are these are stories by Kurt Schwitters and people. You know, fascinating, very stories which which predict the future of you know the rise of Nazis and the stuff. You know, and uh, it's just yeah, it's a real shame if the design. It's got to be engaging, hasn't it? It's going to make you want to read it. Exactly. And and I, 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 I have a controversial opinion about digital versus print publications. And that is, if you have to have something out there, and there's no other way to there's no way to do it properly in print, I'd rather see it in like in a digital form, like, I, if, if a publisher does a crappy job of print stuff, then there should be a digital like version of it. I'd rather just buy the di- not not for a really good art or something like that. But for like, a lot of lot of fiction or or poetry like if if the if it's just going to be done in a crappy way why do i need the physical book i don't need the physical book i just need the digital copy i'll go through it and read it that way uh, so that's a controversial opinion that people don't like but i mean i just think that there's no point if they can't do a good job on the physical design there's there's no point in in, in bothering like really seriously no, 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 um, 
A friend, uh, Glenn Robinson, up in uh, Norwich, has, has worked on a series of little pamphlets of short stories and things, and they are the most perfect things. The the the, the print quality, the paper stock, mm-hmm. the illustrations you've done for the covers, the typography, they're just gorgeous. They're just sumptuous. They're just mm-hmm. perfect. We know that if a different somebody else had done them on different paper, they wouldn't be anything. You know, but the way he's worked on that book, those books, it's just beautiful, phenomenal. Yeah. I gorgeous. think that's part of it, right? I think that's if the, it's intrinsic to the work, it's necessary for the work. So in those cases, it should be in print, but it should be beautiful in print. And like I, I was, I was happy, for instance, with Leviticus that was uh, published by um, Sigillus Press in the states. That my latest from the Vispo Bible. I, I think that uh, Andrew Brenza did a good job of that, and it was he used glossy paper and he used a size that was a little large to fit in an envelope that I could, you know, cheaply mail it to people as a lot of people. But I, I mailed out a few copies. I, I, I sent you a copy, but uh, yeah, I was yeah, happy with that one. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's that's it's hard. I find to get things published in, in uh, visual poetry. It's hard to get print publications because it's uh, a lot of it's also color. Like a lot of it's a color issue as well. So yeah, something else that's uh, um, not uh, uh, um, on the page is that we've talked about before. You do you do uh, work in three D printing sometimes. You play around with three D printing. Oh, and before I say that, one of the things that you said. In the in the the first episode together was that uh, you you like making things for a lark, which is which is I absolutely respond really well to that because I feel the same way. I call it whimsy, but yeah. And you said that if you know you should do things that make you happy, basically. So when I see yeah. like you're doing, I think the three D printing stuff is probably an example of that a little bit. Like you're you're experimenting. <laughs> When it works, uh, when it works, I think there's, there was a, uh, you know, as academics in, I guess it's the same, must be the same in Canada and in in, in America, and North America. Um, we are required to be you're, you're either on a research pathway or a professional practice pathway, and part of your remit of your job is to either be um, active as a, a consultant or as a researcher. So you 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 have to you know I, I get time in my week to make art which is lovely or make work uh, which is you know you spend more time than the day a week you know you spend evenings and weekends and holidays but knowing that there is time allocated is is quite glorious and there was this you know this whole thing about what is your research question and I think you know is it am I going to enjoy it that, that's that's my that's my that's my question am I going to enjoy it. You know, one one of my friends that I work with, Joe, said that she, um, you know, she she didn't like working for a studio because you had to do all the work that came in the door, whether you liked it or not. So going freelance means you can, you know, assuming you can afford to live, you can cherry pick rather more carefully which jobs you want to do because you enjoy them, you know. And I think that's the same with research. What, what are the collaborations and will I, will I enjoy doing it? Because you spend a lot of time doing it, you know, a lot, a yeah. lot of time. And... Um, 3D printing is, I mean, I don't have very modern access to very modern kit. We've got a few old uh, 3D printers that I can use from work. I haven't invested in a 3D printer. And I find it a frustrating process because, you know, for every single thing I make that I'm happy with, I make about five where it looks like it's just taken a, a dump on the, on the you know, on the base of the machine. It just, I don't you know, you end up spending more time trying to troubleshoot to find out why it's not printed than why it has printed. But I'm interested in, you know, I've, I've got letterpress. I'm very lucky I've got letterpress, wooden metal type. And some of them are very old, and the, the, most of the characters are lost to landfill. 
but you know you can find the resources you can find the research to find out what the letter form should look like and then you can redraw them and you can use tinkercad really quickly to make a new piece of type to to complete the you know character set assuming you can get the printer to work so those kind of things you know and then the idea of the socialist chess which I had an idea for and I wanted particular I didn't want to use a traditional chess set I wanted a different kind of chess set and I was looking at the Bauhaus chess because uh, I thought that would be quite an interesting one to use you know and there's two Thingiverse has got two people who have created the Bauhaus chess set recreated from Bauhaus chess sets and I found another one I really like which is a kind of modular chess set which I thought was very very lovely and I, I used that and added some extra characters to it for my you know my it's a it's a one-off thing that exists as a series of photographs and as a rule book well, anyone can play it. you can play it with a chess set you don't you don't need to buy or, or, or 3d print your own chess set you can play it with a normal chess set and if you can be bothered to paint them you can play it perfectly but you know um yeah but i just i suppose in an ideal world i would make that and i'll do an edition of them and they'll be in a box and it'll be like yeah. a proper thing but i I suppose it's enough. John Furnival said once, doing was better than not doing. I think he was very a big fan of, if you have an idea, get the idea done. Yeah. So the idea's done, finally. I've got it. It exists in some kind of format, which is, you know, a photograph of them all laid out on a chessboard and the set of rules as to how to make it work. Well, I think the capitalists are always going to win. It's socialist versus capitalist. Okay. So you can either play for the many or play for the few. And I think the game is incredibly... Uh, pointed towards the capitalists they're going to win i think every time well that's that's pretty much how life is so you know yeah yeah as far as yeah. i see but yeah so that well that sounds interesting are the pieces different at all are they are they are they different from the, are there are you know are there kings and queens and things or no, there's, there's 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 the um there's the, the bourgeois there's the uh the, the monarchists there's the um the the, the the bureaucrat the businessman you know there's all the things that the socialists the proletariat and, and uh, there are eight different characters rather than the chess set where you've got two rooks two 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 bishops yeah. two uh all the different capitalists are different they've all, all got different moves there's a fantastic this is one of the wonderful things about the research you do you know so i was thinking about the chess set and the idea of them being a single row of of, of characters and i wanted different kind of moves then you discover fairy chess and there's a whole a whole subgenre of chess. We've we've developed a certain chessboard from various historical sources, and it's become what chess is. But if you look back historically, there are loads of different chessboards and different chess characters, you know. Mm. And we just decided to use a certain format, but there's no reason why. And you can buy beautifully made fairy chess pieces to so yeah. you can play your own versions of chess. So I took the fairy chess moves, which are historic, you know, historic moves from different character sets, and added those to my socialists. So there's there's each of the different um, capitalists has a different move, basically. It was it's glorious. It's just the idea of, and there's three different chess set games on. You can buy three different versions of chess on Amazon now. I noticed in part of my you're thinking this is what I want to do now. I want to go and buy these and play chess for a bit. You know. Um, <laughs> It's a lot of people, it's not like that, right? They can be quite, I mean, they can be quite uh, focused on one thing. I'm not able to focus just on one thing. I have to do a lot of things at once. And the more I do, the more creative and, and um, productive I actually am. So to use a weird, horrible word, productive. But um, 
I, I prolific I am. Like the more I, I, I find if I do try to do just one thing at a time, I don't even know the last time I even tried to do just one thing at a time, but I don't find that it, it inspires me. I can't focus. I While I'm thinking of one thing, another thing, it, like I have many things going on in my brain at the same time. Like I don't, I don't understand mm-hmm sort of just having one thing just I mean I don't I don't really get that I mean Charles is the same like my husband is the same we we go through when we have conversations together they must go in many different directions all the time but I was I was seeing someone at one point who whenever I switched um whenever my topics changed he would say can you tell me how that relates to the first point and well you know I'm not seeing him anymore so you know that's what happens right (laughs) I think um yeah I'm kind of stuck with words and type most of the time because that's yeah. yeah I'm better with that. I I used to draw a lot. I did a, technically I studied illustration at Chelsea. Mm. I wasn't a graphic designer, but I used letterpress to make illustrations with, which mm. is where the Dante work started. So when I when I graduated, I had words in my portfolio. So I got jobs as a designer, which I loved. You know, I I, I began to love typography by the time I finished at Chelsea. So I had a kind of quite a strange start to my career, I suppose. So most of the things all revolve around type. But I, I love the, I love the, you know, you have that monkey mind and you have so many worries and pressures. But if you're working and it's going well, yeah, and you're really focused, that it yeah, feels good. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. very exciting to focus like that. I saw there, on Instagram there was a post where you had some old sketchbook uh, pages from some. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like. Like I couldn't see that well. I, I was looking on my phone rather than on my on my computer, so I. I, I couldn't see them that well, but they they look really great. Like, I love them. Like, I love that. I used to draw all the time. I used to go, uh, uh, I used to go weekends. I lived, in, I lived in London. So, you know, you, you, you were sport for choice as to where to go. And I would go to the Science Museum and Natural History Museum and the V&A. Most weekends, I think, I used to go drawing. And they used to do a light drawing class in the evenings. You know, it's just, it's just what you did. And I thought I'd never stop. But then, you know, you get a job and then, you know, different pressures on your life and things. So I do regret that, not keeping going to museums and galleries drawing every weekend. But you know Well it might happen know. again in life, you know, as as time yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. I um I'm a I like to say I'm a maniacal doodler. I'm always doodling constantly and and when I, I guess a few years ago, I started to share my weird doodles. For, I would work on a project and then I would do the doodles as well, these weird creatures. And I'm a terrible drawer. Like I can't draw hands, right? So I put hands in pockets and stuff like that, you know. But, but you know, I, I stopped listening to that voice that said, well, you're a terrible drawer, therefore you shouldn't or you shouldn't show anyone else. Because whenever people, whenever, um, not that it matters, but there are certain people that when they see them, they it kind of delights them, right? And, and sometimes it even inspires them to do better and more interesting versions than things I've done. So as long as it like my stuff doesn't have to be perfect, but what happens is maybe someone sees something and it inspires them. So if we just hoard everything and keep it to ourselves, even if it's maybe not the most perfect work or there are people that are more skilled, like, you know, then then the conversation, I'm someone who is very imaginative and has lots of ideas and you have lots of ideas, although you're skilled. I'm like, unlike me. so, so, you know, you, you, I mean, so sharing those ideas is important regardless of skill level. I think it's just, it's important to share them unless it's, I mean, like I, and I think sometimes, especially with all these various ways in which things can be distributed now, People find you. And I'm just looking for kindreds. Like I, I always say I write so others don't, kindred misfits don't feel alone. And I think I do everything so that, um, you know, we can find one another as these kindred I think, misfits. Um, I, I remember reading 
Zen and the Art of Motorcycle, motorcycle Maintenance. Mm. I think the first line or something is, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Yeah. yeah. yeah so I think, it, it, yeah, if it's worth doing the doodle, it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad, it's worth doing the doodle. You know, yeah. it, it's worth doing the thing just because even if you can't do it perfectly, even if you're not skilled enough, it's worth doing. Apart from plumbing and, and elect, you know, that's not there worth doing. Go, yeah, like, or surgery. Like I'd rather or not surgery, a, no, a doodling does. surgeon, you know, uh, yeah. thanks. But, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not operating on anyone's heart with my doodles so far. So <laughs> you never know. It might affect someone's heart. Yeah, it would indeed. It would be terrible. Well, they wouldn't, the heart wouldn't have any parts that, uh, that were recognizable. So it would be a little bit. <laughs> Did you ever read, um, the People of Paper, the book. No. Oh, it's glorious. It's a fantastically bizarre book. It's um, I can't remember who wrote it. Uh, it's, it's 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 typographically very interesting, and it's it's set into different. The pages divided into different um, columns, and each column is a different uh, a, a different person. And at, at various points, there's one of the columns is baby nostradamus and it's black because he hasn't been born yet or it hasn't been born so it's not it's not thinking and then the narrator is aware that someone is watching him which is which is you reading him and he works out how to hide his thoughts from you and there's various points where his thoughts are blanked out and there's a a story within the story about a a, a man who is so articulate at making origami figures he makes origami organs for the people in his village so they can mm. have longer lives. So he makes some origami hearts and things. Wow! And uh, he, he makes an origami. His, his Pygmalion moment is making this perfect woman, you know, a living origami woman that he falls in love with. But every time he kisses her, he gets uh, paper cuts on his tongue. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the most fantastic book. And at the end of it, there's this. And that narrator is talking, and he's and he realizes that you. He talks about Saturn, I think, all the way through. And he, you realize that you are Saturn. And you are his enemy. And at the end of the book, he's basically saying, I'm coming to get you. I know where you are now. And oh I'm going to come get you. Then the rest of his text is blanked out because he's leaving the book to come and find you. It's a brilliant book. People have paid that. Brilliant. Amazing. Okay, I'm, I'll find it. I'll link and I'll share the link on the show notes. Yeah, it's an amazing book. It's wonderful. Did you ever, um, did we maybe we've talked about this. Did you ever hear of the um, this, uh, well, it was a, a recluse uh, janitor in Chicago named Henry Darger. Have you ever heard about him? He um, paintings. So, yeah, he what he did was he um, he was an orphan, so he lived alone in this apartment in Chicago. He worked at a janitor as a janitor. I can't remember where. Could have been a hospital even. But I, and and um, after he died in his apartment, they discovered a three thousand page. Uh, manuscript full of the stories of the Vivian girls and all of these beautiful watercolor paintings and they were just yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing but they um, the thing is they were not discovered till after he died and people had no idea that all this all this existed all this magic existed so that's it don't hoard your ideas that's the <laughs> story of that because uh, yeah it wasn't found till afterwards yeah so that's that's pretty cool. There you go. I've already gotten a few good references there that I can that will they'll take me off in various uh, rabbit holes, which I always enjoy. Uh, another thing that I've seen mostly on Instagram are your four second fairy stories. Can you talk about <laughs> what made you decide to do that and and talk about what they are? Um, I remember years and years ago uh, there was a kind of 
30 second Shakespeare thing. I think I can't remember what it was in. It might have been Mad Magazine or something like that. And it was just these really clever little scripts, which were, you know, Romeo and Juliet in or whatever it was in, 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 you know, really, really quick synopses of it. And I remember there was a, th- when I was in Edinburgh, I used to work for List Magazine, which was like Time Out or whatever the listings magazine of your choices. Um, I don't know what they have, what, what your one is. And uh, there was a 30-second Shakespeare company that would do these, these breakneck speed Shakespeare's, you know. So I've always liked that idea of reducing singers down to their smallest kind of elements. And then I had this idea knocking about, about the idea of the four-second fairy stories, how, 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 how much can you reduce a fairy story down to, you know, to a happy ever after. And, and the first one I think was uh, the the yeah lose the, the the whole idea. Umber reading various things. I think um, there's a lovely book by Jack Zipes again called "Don't Bet on the Prince," which is feminist fairy stories, mm-hmm. and it's a really really clever book. And it changes sort of the fairy story tropes and things. And it talks about the idea of uh, whether it's wise to base a marriage on your foot fetish, <laughs> you know, and. Uh, Rumpelstiltskin, one of my, we did this as a student project years back, and one of my students, um, they all had to read these feminist fairy stories and postmodern fairy stories, and they had to do a piece of work in a day making a postcard. And one of them just read Rumpelstiltskin as a, as a traditional fairy story, you know. And he was really, he realised as he read it that the only honest person in the entire fairy story is Rumpelstiltskin. Everyone else is a liar or greedy, you know, driven by driven by really poor motives. They're really awful people, apart from Rumpelstiltskin, who is ugly, therefore cannot exist within the confines of society because society in fairy stories is only for the beautiful people. That's right. So the one thing the or one thing that Rumpelstiltskin wants and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your physical de- your physical deformity means you're evil. So the one thing Rumpelstiltskin wants is a child, and one thing he can't have is a child because he is an outcast because he's ugly. So he agrees to spin the gold in return for the child. And he even gives a, a get out of jail free card. If you guess my name, he deals off and you get the gold. And then she cheats by following him to find out his name to to yeah. double cross and swindle him. So he's the only good person in the fairy story. <laughs> and the idea that you cheat to win the king, you know, cheat, lie, win king. That's what you do in a fairy story. You know, you don't... Right. <laughs> or you you lose shoe and find love. <laughs> you know, it's the most bizarre kind of ways. The morals for life, isn't it? It's the most bizarre thing, you know, as as, as morals for life. And, and the uh, yeah, eat house and cook witch. That's that's it, isn't it? You you eat the witch's house and you cook her. You know, she's going to cook you. To be fair, but you know that's what happens. And then all the idea that. Um, yeah, you kiss a lot of frogs to get a prince. You know, as I thought, the idea that was that how it began, and then, uh, and again, it was, was a, a, a fairly silly idea. But I hadn't made a lot of work, and I thought I need to do something because I'm just not making work. I'm too busy with my other job, you know, being all the academic stuff that gets piled on you. So I just sat in the case room and I just typeset them, and you know, I typeset it and printed it, and typeset it and printed it. And I spent about a week just doing this series of. of Four second fairy stories. Uh, there's more to come. There's and, more. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's different colors and stuff like that. Yeah, too. well, one of the things I always loved about letterpress, you know, the, the um, when I was a student, it was before the the glorious Macs that we have nowadays. It was uh, the Macs only came in in my second year. Everything was paste up. Everything was black and white, and you told the printer what color you wanted it. 
there was no you know black and white laser copiers you, you never saw a job go to print it was all the artwork was black and white and you would tell you know you just would articulate what colors you wanted so the idea that you could letterpress stuff and you could make as many colors as you want always for me was always a, a joy mm. you know so on the press you've got all these different colors you can use so you know you just sit mix them and play with them and it's just a glorious thing to do isn't it it's just a glorious why wouldn't you you know why wouldn't you make make them make them colorful yeah they're great i can see them on t-shirts and things you could you could <laughs> buy these six page and just like sell them for you know the few cents you get off society six which is nothing but uh you know that they're really cool I, I i like them a lot and i don't always know them like when i i i've noticed i don't get them all so i don't know my not i mean but i love fairy tales as a kid like i read all the i read the you know the andrew lang like the blue fairy book and all the different things as kids uh, you know i i like those a lot uh, some of them are lose yourself find yourself is Jack Zayat wrote a quote about the forest that you you lose yourself in the forest and then you find yourself. That's what that's the nature of fairy stories. You know, you lose yourself to find yourself. So that one was 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 the, the idea of that journey in a fairy story. Yeah, so it's not yeah. yeah, it's not a particular story. And then the you know, once upon a happy a happy ever after, once upon an ever after, is the you know that's the beginning and the end, isn't it? It's once yeah. upon a time, happily ever after. So there's there's a kind of bookend. To the nature of fairy stories and other ones are more specifically about a particular story but they're kind of getting a bit off a bit different because um was it the hemingway thing when he was asked to write the shortest story or something in six words and it was baby shoes never worn wasn't it that was it four stories first say or baby baby's shoes never worn something like that yeah you know, yeah so it's this, this incredibly you know the shortest story you could write um and then there's all the elephant when i woke up the elephant was still there <laughs> you know, that's something and then one of the fairy stories uh i think it was um snow white in the grimm's fairy story the wicked stepmother is condemned to dance to her death in red hot iron shoes <laughs> so the next one i've done which isn't online yet is iron shoes still hot <laughs> because it's it's about the end of that fairy story so it's yeah, not yeah. about the story as a whole it's a specific reference to a specific telling of that fairy story yeah that's great that's a that's a uh oh, we've got a scoop that's good that's yeah good. It, it, it moves it away from just being you wouldn't know it was about snow white because it's not about snow white it's about the, the death of the wicked stepmother and it, it, you'd only know it if you knew the original grimm's fairy story not the disney fairy story yeah well that's it right that's it that, that one's a bit more a bit more eclectic i think probably but, yeah so they get yeah but i've got loads more to do but uh, that's my next job but it's fun you're, you're you find it fun to do yeah I, I, I do i know they're not very they're very simple things and they're not typeset very well you know they're, they're, they're just the type is on the press and i print it and it's not letter space properly and it's just the immediacy of doing it you know it's just the idea that i will get it done but i know i should probably spend more time yeah, i should that word doesn't exist uh, checking the characters and uh yeah but anyway i just did them and they're done so they're, they exist so they're out there yeah you know, and they're great and and i think that i'm sure that uh like they they're getting good response on your in your on your, in your very yeah, social media that you're on so yeah the instagram but I don't they, often uh, often post, but yeah, I'm not really good at Instagram. Really, I don't really have a. <laughs> I'm very very bad at posting things, but 
I, I seem to be, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't know. Like when I was in the hospital, I was the reception in the hospital, like the, the, the internet, um, Wi-Fi and stuff was terrible and was intermittent. So when I was just waiting around a lot, right? So I would I would post these photos of myself in the hallway as I'm walking along and finding like strange things. Like I have a, a picture of myself with a, in 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 a long mirror because there's suddenly uh, in the hallway, in the middle of the hall, is a long self-standing mirror like on a stand, like. Why? <laughs> you know, it's, I have no idea what that was about. But uh, there are all kinds of weird things in hospital. Like if you, if you, uh, I have a chance to wander. I mean, I, I was sort of stuck uh, for uh, overnight, so I was, I was doing. Uh, once I was, once my pain, uh, once I was done with the pain, and I was just waiting for my test results and stuff. I was wa- then I wandered because I mean, you can only li- lie on those horrible stretchers. They in an emergency they use for beds. You know, they're, they're like they're just a little thicker than a gym mat. Basically, they're yeah. really awful, and that's what you that's what you you, you have to be on, uh, you know, for hours. So yeah, so once I got the chance to move, I I uh, moved around. Of course, one time I was in, I was in, I guess it was the summer of 2022 and I had a really good nurse. I was admitted and I had a really good nurse and uh, I had the NG tube, you know, (laughs) going on. And I had my hospital gowns that both like the, the regular one and the one I was using as a, as a, you know, as a jacket basically. And she said, why don't you go outside and take a walk? You know, we're waiting for some results, you know, and you should move around. It'll help, you know, it'll help make things better. So I went outside and this hospital is sort of in the middle of sort of a lot of nature and, and stuff like that. I got lost. <laughs> so I ended up, I was wandering around and I saw a bus and I said, you know, I have my purse. I could just get on the bus. I know it's going to go to the main <laughs> gate, but I didn't do that. I I mean, the NG2 was covered because I had a mask on so that no one could see the horrors of that experience. But um so that was covered up, but I didn't do that. But instead, the paramedics were coming out of an ambulance, transporting someone, a patient in. And, and they said, you look lost. And I, we'd better take you back to the uh, hospital. You know, I mean, they probably thought I was a crazy person. But fortunately, I wasn't <laughs> or anything. And they, they took me in through the back way. And I, 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 I got back in again. But yeah, but it was the fun thing to wander around outside. Was the only time I've I've ever been allowed to do that when I've been in hospital. So wow, if you get the chance to go outside when you're a patient, whew, it's 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 a great thing. So yeah, I don't know how we ended up there, but must to do with being lost in the forest, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Probably, yeah. The start of a fairy tale. Me and my my and the hospital gowns are always so huge on me, right? Like they're they're because they're they're made to fit all sizes. So it's this massive long dress I'm wearing. Like, and it's just, I'm like this little tiny thing in this big thing. And yeah, it's a really weird experience. I think Charles took a picture of not that time because he wasn't with me, but um, later on we got to walk around again uh, together because I wanted to show him how I got lost. And so we walked around and I showed him where I, you know, and he understood how it was that I got lost and how confusing it was. And so, yeah, so he took a photo, which I have. It was one of my favorite photos, actually, of me in the parking lot with this this giant gown on and my yellow sandal, croc sandals and orange hospital socks, you know. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, so I was going to so talk to you, too, about um, the McCaffrey, uh, the Stephen McCaffrey uh, carnival. The, uh, you were involved in that, uh, the latest version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... When I was, when I, after I finished my foundation course, I did uh, various uh, evening classes and things. And one of the, I did live form with Alan Barker, who's one of my, one of my tutors on my foundation course. 
and he'd given me a copy of uh, Alan Medell's book, The Typewriter Arts, he thought I'd really like it. And there was Steve McCaffrey's Carnival was in it, the first panel from 77, was it, I think, or something. And it terrified me. Something about it really scared me, really. Uh, in the same way, Dr. Seuss books had terrified me. My mum and dad used to get them for me from the library and stuff. Um, it, it was the most... Um, they didn't normally go for things that weird. I don't know why Dr. Schuess was okay, but I always found it really sort of slightly terrifying, slightly odd and slightly disturbing. Yeah. And the drawings had these huge dark spaces and dark, dark skies and, you know, it seemed to be very lonely. And something about Carnival really kind of freaked me out. And I think it was because I was aware how a typewriter could work in terms of its rigour and the, and the patterns things you could do with it. And I could understand those things. But what Steve McCaffrey had done with Carnival seems so abstract, you know, like he was using the typewriter as a, as a tool to draw with and had these little negative shapes that were very fluid. And it was, I think it hinted at a world I didn't understand. So it's it, it really scared me in a bizarre way. And um, I was invited to talk at a conference that he was, he was going to be at in Dublin, I think. Uh, Karen McCormack was going to be there as well. And uh, Bronak Ferron, I think, had set it up. And originally I said I'd go, but then I had a, the exhibition, my first exhibition in London in the South Bank came up. So I couldn't do the Dublin thing because I had to get the show ready for London. So I had to pull out. And then they were coming to do an event in London at Birkbeck as part of their poetry evenings. And I was invited down to meet him and Karen. We had dinner and they were so lovely. And I discovered the second carnival panels, you know, and the third one by then. And I'd grown to love them because I wasn't scared of them anymore. <laughs> and particularly the second panel, I thought was, you know, the colour palette in that was so different. And we were talking about it all, and he said he'd never seen them. Uh, I think Bronak had a little thing where you could put them all together to to, to arrange them, but he'd never seen them as a, a as a coherent, a contiguous thing. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I, you know, I've got, I could Photoshop it all together I, if you want to see it and send me the files. I can put it all together as a as a, as a full document. So I worked on putting them together as, as a single panels, which he was really pleased with. And then I'd seen a fourth panel, which was a reversed one with a black background. So I, I created a fourth panel and it, it, apparently that didn't exist. The fourth panel was actually someone had done a, one of the editions of Carnival. They'd reversed one panel out to use as a cover. And I assumed the whole thing existed as a reverse panel, but it didn't. So I kind of created, I kind of, inadvertently made the fourth panel uh, <laughs> fourth version of it. So the, there's the first version, second, third version, then Karen McCormack has, McCormack has suggested combining the first and second versions to make the third version, which, you know, which is, um, it was the beginning of, I think, the, the Photoshop's ability to do that, or and I did this, this version of it. All. And um, Steve had been in discussion with Via Books. So I got to work with Via Publishing, and I... I designed all the panels and we chose a paper called Omnia to, Omnia to print them on, which is really lovely, really thick, really nice stuff that holds colour really well. So all the panels were individually boxed in this in this box set. And there was um, little concertina books with texts and the illustrations in uh, of the whole thing, which Steve had written. The thing, the silly thing was I missed a trick because everyone, uh, Greg Thomas was there, Bronak Ferron and myself and I think Nicola, Simpson, I think, was there as well. And they had all spoken about Carnival. And 
what I should have suggested is that we put all those into the box set as well, those conversations and those. Yeah, right, right. Because I forgot to do that. So although I was very, I was very obviously very proud to work with Steve McCaffrey on it, and it's been lovely to be in touch with them ever since. We kept in touch with Karen and Steve, which has been fantastic. Uh, when I went to back to university and said, oh, I've done this. Look, Carnival, it's the definitive edition. I've done this. And said, what have you done? Uh, well, I've, I made it happen. Without me, it wouldn't have happened. But what did you do? Well, I did it. I made it. You know, it, it exists because of me. Did you write anything? No. So you were just a designer. Oh, just so, a designer. Like that doesn't, oh my God. No, no. <laughs> as if I'd written something about it and I, I, I could have had yeah. an academic crowd. So that was, uh, yeah, that was frustrating. But it was lovely to work on. It's a, I mean, it's a really nice, the print quality was great. And, you know, I think it's a very nice edition. I think hopefully, and I think Steve said he, he felt it was a definitive edition, you know. Wow, so, that's I think that's what he said. If it's not what he said, that's what I'll take. Okay. I'm hoping that's, I that think sounds amazing. It looks beautiful. <laughs> uh, well, is there anything else you want to talk about before we close the show, before we go? Um, I've got a cat now joining me who's going to probably bite the computer because he's hungry. <laughs> um, I don't, don't go away. Uh, let me think about other stuff. No, not really. I'm, I'm still going to work in the Dante work. That's still my my yeah, mission to get that done and published. Um, I've got an idea to do the maps for the Dante work using stencils, but I just need to get my stop farting about and do the work. You know, I just <laughs> I need to start. I just need to do the work. You know, I'm just worried that I'll not get it done, and you know, it's, it's, yeah, I'll get sidetracked by another project. I've just done a finished a project with Alan Mason, Dave Williams, the magazine, uh, which is a a novel in thirteen parts. Uh, we've just done April part four. And that, you know, you get sidetracked doing that because that's a nice thing to do. So, yeah, so I've got to just uh, focus, I think, really. I know. It's hard to say no. It's hard to say no sometimes. I've been trying to say no, but uh, some people offer me really interesting things, and I'm like, okay, I should do that. that <laughs> oh, and by the way, it's due next week. Oh, okay. Let's oh, yeah, yeah. The, the deadlines, they always help. But um, thank you for having me back to talk again. It's been obviously lovely to talk about myself. Thank you. <laughs> thank yeah, you. <laughs> pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Barry, for being on the show. Thanks to uh, Charles for processing, to Jennifer Peterson for doing the uh, intro and outro, and to all of you for listening and sharing the episode. Our next episode will be with the uh, poet Dennis Cooley, who will also be returning for his second time on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine Talks.